Big Tin Can is the world's leading sales learning and enablement platform that delivers the onboarding and training, preparation, coaching, customer engagement, and follow-up and insights that modern businesses need to win. Welcome to the Sales Influence Podcast, where we talk about finding the why and how people buy. I'm your host, Victor Antonio. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for lending me the ears. And if you're watching this on video, your eyeballs are appreciated as well. Today, I have him back, the one and only Kevin Dorsey, a.k.a. Simply put, KD. How you doing, brother? You know, man, just living my best life. You know, I'm just I'm just a thought leader. You know, so I wake up and think thought. And I have to turn those yeah. into topics and then the topics in the posts. You know, it's hard, man. I got to take a nap. You know, it's hard, but it's all good. Yeah, I love it, man. Hey, by the way, let the folks know here on the Sales Influence Podcast. Give me your your one-minute commercial. Don't be bashful, man. Lay it out there for them. One-minute commercial. All right. Um, Kevin Dorsey, KD. I am known as a builder and a scaler. I build startup sales teams. I have two unicorns under my belt. I have four over 100-person sales or build in my career and with no industry overlap. So that's something I'm actually quite proud of. Is wow. No industry overlap. Every single one of my builds has been a brand new industry, brand new product. And so I feel like I've got a playbook now where I know I can do it in different places. And so this year I've been consulting um, companies, you know, have my own podcast, Live Better, Sell Better. So that's my spiel, man. 35 seconds. That's all I got. Live Better, Sell Better is the podcast. And by the way, if you follow them long enough, you'll realize why it's important to follow them. I really like your stuff, man. I genuinely... I'm scrolling like on Instagram. I'll actually stop on your stuff. I said, all right, what is his thoughts for today? So I, and I love reading your comments. Um, I wanted to go do something different with you because everybody talks about business. I'm sure everybody's asking the same question. So I wanted to go through your posts because I really value them. And I think there's some insight. And I also feel, KD, I feel, brother, that there's some angst in there that you just want to let out just a little more, but you're holding back. You're, you're holding the horse, the horse is tight. So uh, this first one is, I'll start with this one. We are all too addicted to speed right now, not the drug. Dude, let go on that one. It, it's comical and sad, man. Like in life, right? Everyone's trying to accomplish things fast. They're not trying to accomplish things. And that, that's the problem is everyone's trying to accomplish it fast. And because they want to accomplish it fast, they never actually accomplish it. Whereas if they slow down, thought about what it would take to actually get there, it would change their behavior, right? So like companies, right? like companies are trying to grow too fast and they grow too fast. They're not profitable. It's not maintainable. So they fall apart. They have to do layoffs. They have to shut down. They have to do a down round. People want to get good at something too fast. So they don't practice it. They don't study it. They don't invest in themselves. They're trying to get the top 10 tips off of TikTok. I think that's going to make them a world-class seller. And it's like, no, it doesn't work that way. But then companies do this too with salespeople all the time. They rush. They want to get people on the phones quick, right? So again, fast. How fast can I get them on the phones versus how ready can I get them on the phones, right? And so we're just seeing this addiction to speed right now. And I don't know if the listeners will understand this. Have you ever like ridden motorcycles or rate cars or anything, Victor? A little go-kart. That's about it. Sorry. So like, you know, I used to have a motorcycle, but people like go through this understand. The faster you go, the less you see. But like when you're on a motorcycle or you're in a race car, when you're going like 80 miles per hour, you can see everything. When you get to 90, your vision starts to narrow. You get to 100, your vision narrows further. By the time you're going 110, 120, you can literally see just like a sliver in mm -hmm. front of you. And so you're missing everything else. 
that's how a lot of people are operating right now in their lives and their businesses and careers is they're doing so fast. They don't see everything that's going on and they're not making the right choices. So that's my first mini rant. Yeah, so it's a good rant. And I love the analogy of the motorcycle. So, so what is it, KD? Because, you know, it's it's too easy to go, well, society, we're all getting shorter attention spans, blah, blah, blah. But th- I don't think that's it. I think there's something like deeper that's happening in society that we want to get there faster. Or we think we should get there faster. You mentioned, for example, your companies and individuals, right? Uh, I love your your TikTok phrase, you know, 10 tips on TikToks or what you call it, your $297 course on your post. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be an instant seller, right? And so give me an example first of a company without mentioning names, obviously, but that you worked with, you know, say, Victor, here's an example of a company that just doesn't get it or didn't get it. And here's what happened. So, I mean, unfortunately, it's quite a few, right? So the first thing, you know, we talk about is like, all right, how are the reps performing, right? Obviously, by the time someone brings me in, generally speaking, things aren't going well, right? Like something's off, something's broken. So, they, you know, bring me in and say, like, the reps aren't performing well. And so we want to put everybody on a plan. Well, time out. Okay, let's talk about this. Why aren't they performing well? So, KD, can I just, I just want to pause you because I want to frame the context because I know it's going to get good. So, a company will bring you in, like, what type of company will bring you in? Frame the context for me in this case. So, generally, like, I mean, so the, this company that I'm about to reference, right, they're a Series B startup, right? And it's a sales org of about 30 people. They're doing roughly like $20, $25 million a year in revenue. And then they've missed their number the last two quarters. Right. And right. so they're like, all right, we got to figure something out. And so they bring someone like me in it, you know, who's done it before, who's messed up a lot before. So I can kind of spot mm-hmm. things to go through it to again, make things repeatable. So that's kind of the foundation. And so I'm working with the, you know, VP of sales and the CEO at this time. Perfect. Perfect frame. Right. And so then they're like, you know, the, the team isn't performing. We, you know, we need to put everyone on performance plans, like, so they know what's real. And I was like, okay, well, time out. We got to get back here. Right. And the process that I take companies through is like, okay, you can't change results. You can't change results. Results are in the past. That's quite literally what makes them a result. So you can't change a result without changing a metric. So let's identify this first. What metrics are off right now? Okay, revenue's off. Great. Is it because of close rate? Is it because of deal size? Is it because of pipeline volume? Pipeline value? Sales cycle? Touches? Like, what metric is off right now? Oh, well, it's our close rate. Okay, all right. Cool. So now we get to the next level. Like, we well, can't change a metric without changing a behavior. And so this is where it goes next. It's, okay, so have your team been coached on how to run discovery? Have they been coached on how to run a good disco process and a good demo? Have they been coached on negotiation? Well, yeah, they went through onboarding. Okay, I'm going to let that one hang in the air real quick. If you had to guess how long their onboarding process was, two-week onboarding, and then go. And so basically now at this point, I would say your reps shouldn't be good. Like quite literally, to even expect them to be good yet is wrong. Mm. They they shouldn't be good. You haven't taught them how. And so- Dang they, it, I like this. Like, this is why I like you on this show. This is why I like you on this show, man. It's just- Because that's real. It's like, I don't understand. Again, this mindset of like, why would anybody be good at something if they weren't taught how to do it? Why, because you hired them? Like, no, like you need to, Teach them how to do this and how to be better at it. And then the practice, which will be the next part of this, is you get good through practice. You get good through practice. Like all my sales leaders and salespeople listening right now, please write this down. You do not get good in the game. 
The game is where you show how your practice is paying off. You don't get good in the game. You get good outside of the game and then you go play it. But sales, it's always like just into the game. Just do the demo. Just do the call, right? They weren't practicing either. So they were about ready to fire everybody. And instead, we built out a coaching plan over the next 90 days. And what do you think happened to the close rates? Close rates went from 13% to over 27% in under 90 days, which leads to millions of dollars in revenue from the same people. They just never been coached on how to do it the right Right. way. So I'll pause there. Well, I I love that. By the way, thank you for the pause because you have... Uh, other guests just keep going. I'm like, wait, wait, I want to ask you some questions. Yeah, so yeah. thank you for understanding. Thank you for having that awareness. The You said something in our last podcast that people kept referencing. And I tell you that that you're probably the most popular podcast guest I've had on. And I've had, and don't take this in the wrong way, but I've had like big names. But at the end of the day, you were the big name, if I can put it that way. And one of the things they bring up that I thought was really interesting was they, they plucked the most simplest concept that you pointed out. And you said, and I'll paraphrase because I can't remember the words exactly, but you said, if there's a line or two that's not right, whether it's, you know, a question's being asked or a script that has to be delivered, you said, we'll spend half a day on those two lines. Mm-hmm. I want you to hit on that again, because I thought that was like, because even when you said it to me, I go, you know, I guess he's got a point mm-hmm. on practice. So think about, this is what's hilarious, right? Because salespeople get like, we're like the athletes of the business world, right? Like people used to use that analogy. And I don't think we've earned that analogy at all, right? Did you play sports, like any sport or instrument to like growing up? Basketball and bass. Perfect. Okay, so we got basketball and we got the, the bass, okay? So think about how you practice basketball. Did you practice the game? Or did you dribble with your left hand for 30 minutes straight going around cone? Correct. And then shot 100 free throws. And even before those free throws, laying on the ground, Practicing your release, practicing your release. Then you shot 100 free throws. You didn't practice the game. You practice the skills that lead to the game, right? It's the same thing for selling. We need to choke what we need to do down to the specific skills and then get massive repetition, right? Because to you, and people hear that, they go like two full days on just the opening part of the script. What a waste of time. It's actually the opposite. Because you know what they have down after those first two days? The opening parts of that script, they have it down. I don't have to come back to it. Whereas if I just taught it once and then go for it, we have to keep coming back because it never got ingrained. So chunking, right? Think about how you got good at anything. Bait. You practice scales. You practice finger work, right? You practice literally trying to get the pinky to the, like, you worked on that process. You you understand my pain, huh? And... Last point, and then I'll pause again, is like, if you think about, especially with instruments, you start slow and speed up, right? So if you're trying to learn a song, right? You're dun, 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 okay. Like you're working slow and then you speed up. Ailes is the opposite. We just put people straight in and see what happens versus slowing down to speed up. But here's here's the interesting thing, and, I, and I'm pushed further because, you know, you're, you're a leadership coach, right? You're a sales coach, but you're a leadership coach also, right? Mm-hmm. Leaders should know this. I mean, what you're saying is not new to me. I know that I need to invest in my salespeople. When you're going to talk to these, these Series B companies, you know, you're, you got to look at their leadership and go, duh. I mean, what do you get when you kind of ask them the questions like, what, what do you see? Yeah. So it's almost always... There's initial pushback, then light bulb moment. Right? 
where there's almost always this initial resistance. Like, well, no, we couldn't do that. Like, we don't have time for that. And I go, mm-hmm. okay, so you have time to fail. Which do you killer line. Like, killer line, by You line. don't have time to make your people better. Okay, so then you have time to fail. I don't care. It doesn't make or break me at this point. But you're, you're trying to move so fast that you forgot what you're trying to accomplish. And then you see it start to sink in and go, where else in life have you gotten good at something without practicing it? Okay. Because here, here's what happens in sales, man. It, just this never ending cycle. I can't remember the name of the, there's a, there's a law or a theorem about basically like you teach the way you were taught. Right. right? And it fails is the epitome of this, right? Mm-hmm. Because most sales leaders didn't get any training or coaching. So then how do they lead? without giving training or coaching. So that how do those reps who then become managers lead? They don't do training and coaching because they, it's this never ending process, mm-hmm. right? Because like truth be told, you're like, you do this, but when you were coming up in the game, how much coaching and training did you really get? Not much, so not much. I gotta be honest, not much. That's my point, right? It's, it's like you, you said it, right? Like, oh, this is common knowledge. Mm-hmm. It's not. Like, it's just not how the sales industry has been built. And then, so once you flip that paradigm, then people go, well, yeah, I guess it does make sense. Like, it's really <laughs> hard. hard. It's, not, like, it's almost like right in front of you, right? It's like, you know, when you were taught to swim, you know, back in the day, they just threw you in the waters and figure it out, right? And that's kind of what it is. Right. It, it is. And what people forget about those analogies, jump, or go into the deep end, throw them to the wolves, trial mm-hmm. by fire. People die. That yeah. not like one of my favorite books right now is called Do Hard Things, and it's it's really confirmed some things that. that um I believe in, but I didn't have a way to like phrase phrase it. And what it talks about is the difference between developing toughness and filtering, and how a lot of the ways we think you develop toughness don't actually develop toughness; they filter out people without toughness, and that's a different way. So think about this, right? So the classic military boot camp. Mili- everyone thinks, oh, that's how you develop toughness. No, the boot camp is actually to filter out the people that don't have it. The boot camp doesn't make you tough. Mm-hmm. Only tough people get through the boot camp. Mm-hmm. That, so these trial by fires, right? It's actually, they're filtering. They're not developing. If you want to develop toughness, there are strategies and tactics to do that. And that is filtering is just so ingrained in sales. We try to filter out bad opportunities instead of earning their business. We try to filter out bad reps as opposed to making them good reps, right? That's, that's the dichotomy that so many companies are facing right now. I love it, man. I was on the bubble about getting that book, man. So I'm getting the book. Yeah, All right. I'm, I'm going to go to the second. This is kind of very similar. The second post three days ago, back to the basics. Back to the future. Let's face it, up on prospecting is hard, only getting harder. I'll leave it at that and let you go from there. So, you know, the, there's the classic line is like, is cold calling dead? Cold calling dead, right? And everyone gets fired up over it. No, it's not dead. Nah, it's dead. Da, 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 whatever. It's like a religious debate, isn't it? Oh my it? God, it's hilarious, right? You want, you want to get people fired up on LinkedIn, just go say something's dead, right? So I do not believe cold calling is dead. I do not believe outbound prospecting is dead, but it is dying. It is dying, right? And if you think about what the definition of dying is, is 
decline, right? It's declining. Connect rates are half of what they used to be four years ago. Mm -hmm. Half. Response rates are almost three times lower than what they used to be three years ago. Connection rate, pickup rate, convert. It's, it, it is dying. It is everything metric wise is going the wrong direction with outbound prospecting. It is. But when you look at it, I also look at it and go, well, no wonder it is, right? Because, you know, we talk about these basics. What has a higher chance of response rate, Victor? A personalized email or a non-personalized email? Personalized email. Shocking, right? Yeah. Pretty basic. Most emails that are getting sent out right now are not personalized. Correct. That's a base. I get We all get them. Well, we're not there. Right. We're not that we've got away from it. Why? Addiction to speed. Cause you can't personalize at scale. Great. So you can send shitty emails at scale, bad emails. We like, we do all day. Good emails. We don't. So that's like, it's a basic. We're not doing it. Knowing your industry, knowing your industry. This has gotten so lost in sex. I actually feel like other industries, like, you know, manufacturing, pharma, medical, even like RV and cars to a certain extent. Like they haven't lost this yet, but that has in terms of understanding the industry that you're selling into, right? You need to understand what a VP of sales does and how they work and what's important to them, right? That's lost. The basic, but it's lost. Most, most reps, right? They're selling a product that one, they don't use to a role they've never had before. Right. Correct. So how do you carry a conversation with the CFO when you've never been a CFO in this space? So this this loss of industry knowledge right now, where it's basic, but no one's doing it. Right. And you, you would tie that back as you already did back to the speed part. Speed, right. Right. Because we're trying. It's almost like when I look at the SaaS industry, it almost seems like and correct me if I'm wrong. But it almost seems like it's it's a factory. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We're churning and burning, churning and burning. And as you put that, you know, the, what is it? Filter versus, what was the other part? Filter versus, filter versus whatever. Build or filter versus yeah. Build. Yeah. And it seems like it's a churn and burn industry. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, and sales has been that way for a long time, right? Of like, either you make it or you don't. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, yes. But if I wanted to be a good bass player, but all you did was like put me in on a show. It'd take me a long time to get good at playing bass, if ever, right? I think right. we lose a lot of people in sales simply because they were never taught and coached how to do it, right? Whereas any other industry, you wouldn't be like, oh, wow, that person was a bad nurse. They're like, oh, did they go to nursing school? Well, no. They go like, wow, that's surprising that they weren't a good nurse. Yeah. No, when, like, I, when I look at, I wanted to ask you about like, you know, when you see, we'll tie it back to training, getting back to the basics. You know, where do you see, you know, I mean, you're working with all these different companies, right? And you have all this wonderful experience. Where do you see outbound, in this case, cold calling? I'll be very specific. And we'll, we'll be specific. We'll even grant the personalized cold calling. Where do you see it still being effective? And where do you see it being like, Victor, don't even waste your time picking up the phone? So the, the first place, funny enough, back to one of the earlier topics, is you look at the metrics, Okay. If you have a below 3% connect rate on your cold calls, it gets to a certain point where it is no longer worth making those cold calls. That means you have to make 100 dials to talk to three people. There are some industries where that is the case. If you're calling into finance, 
If you're calling into engineering, they don't pick up that phone nearly as much as sales leaders do as marketing leaders do, right? There's a difference there. And so knowing that is important. Like, so it's looking at those metrics of like, okay, if it's below 3%, it's almost possible at that point to have enough. But it's also then looking at, well, what affects cold calls? And this is what people also forget is emails do affect cold calls. Social does affect cold calls. Actually, Salesloft released this data a couple of years ago that a single channel outreach process. So like single channel, like phone only or email only. Phone only, phone only was 91% less effective than a multi-channel prospecting approach. 91% less effective. Email only was 78% less effective than a multi-channel process. So what tends to happen is people that want to get better at cold calling, they are ignoring the other channels that actually make the cold call easier, right? So that's what I think is important to remember is like, yes, you want to get better at cold calls for sure. But the number one killer for most people on cold calls right now is the connect rate. Talking to anybody. How do you get to talk to more people? Better emails, better video, better social engagement to warm up those calls. And now it all works together. You, you're, you're, let's get back to speed and patience because I think we're going to tie those two together. You seem, your persona online seems to be very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't want to say mild because that's not you. You're a little harder than mild. Uh, but you, it, it's very measured. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a good word for it, right? The, the KD persona to me is very measured. And I think you created this, you, in my eyes, I, I might be the only guy thinking this, but I think you created a great brand because I never see you go hard over left or right, so to speak. You've always tried to, you know, measure the middle. You know, how can people who want to do outreach do the same thing? How can they be that measured? Or what do you do to be measured? And what do you do in your social media posts, speaking of channels, to really try to connect with potential clients? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a big question. It is. And you nailed it. You nailed it at the end, though, right? Of like trying to connect with my clients, right? Now, I am not a huge believer in social selling in terms of everyone needs to be posting, right? It's not like, you got to think is like, is your market even going to be around for that, right? Like if I, your market, right? And what's hilarious, I'll call this out, just uh, most people on LinkedIn that have built strong brands are building brands around salespeople and their companies sell to salespeople. I have yet to see a seller that has a strong non-sales brand, meaning I'm selling into finance and as a seller, I have a strong finance brand where I'm posting about finance topics and all of these VPs of finance are like, wow, this is, I don't see that, right? Mm-hmm. But so here's the key though to your question. I'm very, very aware of who my audience is and I'm writing to them. And so this applies to outbound messaging as well is who are you talking to? Like, who is that actual target? And what, you know, I've been described as blunt as well is like, if I'm ta- if I'm messaging into like a VP of finance or VP of engineering, it's actually being a little bit more direct. Like, look, I know what you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. I know what you're dealing with. And that very human tone, that very real mm-hmm tone that's the other big part like i get feedback from people like thank you for being real i'm like when did being real become so rare 
that people <laughs> thank you for it. Like, yeah. by the way, you, when, I, when I listen, when I read your posts, I feel that you feel me. If mm-hmm. that's, the way, that's the way I want to put it. Right. I, I go, he feels me. He feels like, my, that, he's saying it, but, but you're measured though. That's what I love about you. That's where, and it's, it's measured, it's calculated, but it also it's a lot of like paying attention and researching, sitting down and going like, what do people care about? How do they talk? What are their frustrations? What are my frustrations? If I'm frustrated mm-hmm. by it, I bet other people are frustrated by this. Two, I can talk about this, right? I'm very measured on who is this post for? Right. How do they talk? How do you yeah. they think? How do they explain things? Right. I don't know. Did we talk about my six magic questions for messaging? No, I did not hear about your six magic questions. Let's do this. So back to, you know, you made me do my like Yelp opener and like I talked about industry agnostic, right? I've built very high performing sales orgs in completely different industries. It's not like I only focus in one. So anytime I join a new company or new industry, I talk to customers first. I go to CS first. I don't go to sales first. I go to CS first. And I talk to about 40 to 50 customers. And I ask them these six questions. And these six questions give me basically everything I need to create world-class messaging for my sales world. Go to these 40, 50 customers. First question, why did you buy? Why did you buy? We think we know why people buy in sales. We don't really. We don't really know why they bought the product. And so opening that question of why did you buy, you're going to get the language from them of like what they were really looking for, right? The first question, why did you buy? Question. What were you afraid of before buying? What were you afraid of before buying? This is where I'm learning the unspoken objections. So salespeople, they don't always tell us their real objections, right? They may say things like, ooh, we got to push to next quarter. But what's really happening is like, dude, this sounds like a nightmare to onboard and I don't have time for this. So I'm getting the unspoken objections of what were you afraid of before buying? Honestly, I was afraid you y'all were just going to take my money like other people had, or it wasn't going to work, or that I wasn't going to understand it, or onboarding was going to take too long, or that my team wasn't going to buy into it. Now I'm learning the unspoken objections. So I can lead with this messaging, right? So when I get you on the phone, I say, hey, Victor, I know you're busy. I know you've been burned by lead gen people in the past. I, I can be that direct because I know those are top of mind, right? Because so why did you buy? What were you afraid of before buying? Next question. What problem were you hoping to solve? What problem were you hoping to solve? This is where now I'm learning my problem-based language, right? What problem? Not problem. Catch me all here. This is not plural. I want to know what was the biggest problem they were trying to solve? What problem were you trying to solve with this product? Next question. What's changed the most since you've bought the product? This is where I'm getting some micro testimonials. What's changed the most? Next question. What's your favorite part of the product? Now I know what to highlight in my messaging. And then the last one, which is oftentimes the most important for sales and for marketing. How would you describe what we do to another person? How would you describe what we do to another (laughs) VP of sales or another? Because what you're going to learn here is one, how they talk, but then two, the comparison language. So I use this example a lot. When I went to um, PatientBot, my last company, when I joined, in a lot of our outbound messaging, we were saying patient pop is an all-in-one practice growth platform. How many doctors do you think have ever said the words all-in-one practice growth platform, Victor? None. 
Zero. In the history of the world, no doctor has ever sat down after a long day of work, taking a deep breath and going, God, I wish I had an all-in-one practice growth platform. So I'm learning the messaging, right? And what's fun about psychology is humans, we cannot understand something without comparison. We have to compare to understand. And so when I ask someone, I say, so Victor, how would you describe what we do to another, you know, sales leader? And you, what almost happens every time is sounds like this. You know, it's a lot like blank, but blank, right? And that's where I'm going to learn that comparison language of what would they compare us to? And now I have a better way to help my prospects understand. So those six questions, my emails are better. My cold calls are better. My videos are better. My social posts are better. Everything becomes better because now I can think like a buyer. I can think like a customer. Generally speaking, what I think has made me good in my career is I understand the prospect better than anybody else. And once I have that down, everything else falls into place. Love it, man. Love it. There, there's two things I want to highlight that. I'll, I'll highlight the last one first is when you ask somebody, how would you describe our company to somebody else or to another person? It's almost like net promoter scores indirectly, right? You're kind of saying, how would you describe us? And that would tell me the likelihood of whether you would recommend us or not. Is that a fair statement? It is, but it's not what I'm looking for, mm. right? So it's not, the, none of these calls are about like reference calls or whether they're happy or not. In fact, my last company, I got in trouble because I just started calling customers. Mm-hmm. I didn't ask for the list. Why did you ask for the list, Victor? Why do I not go and say, hey, can you give me a list of 50 companies to talk to? Because they're going to give you the best ones. Exactly. They're just going to yeah. give me that. I don't want that. Do you want the, you want the rando? Right? Let me just go in there and just sample what you right. got. Victor's a customer. Call him Victor. Hey, Victor, it's KD. I'm actually the new um, VP of sales over here at Patient Pop. Looks like you've been a customer with us for a while. I'm going to sec. I was hoping to ask a couple quick questions just so I can learn this space a little bit better. Mm-hmm. 20% of people are just like, sure. <laughs> and then I go Love through it. it, right? So I'm not looking for the promoter, but and you, you know this, and I, this is what I appreciate about mm-hmm. you. I'm a stickler on words, right? It's not, how would you describe our company? How would you describe what we do to another persona? And I'm being very specific gotcha. with my okay. language there because I want, like, when I say what we do, well, like, you all, it's that language that I'm looking for there. I love it, man. I love it. The... You also mentioned something I thought was interesting. You said problem. I think this is question number three. Three. Right? You said said problem, not problems. And I thought that was interesting. You know, can you expand on that just a little bit? I I, I think I know what you mean, but since, you know, we want to be accurate, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll give you my definition is you're finding their highest leverage activity. In other words, we can solve this problem. The rest of these things will be solved as well. So I just want to focus on this one. Mm -hmm. Yep. And it's, it's funny enough. It's not even about that. It will also solve all the other ones. I want to know what that top of mind problem, because especially with prospecting, you have to nail the problem. If you don't nail that problem, no one's going to engage with you. It's where a lot of people go wrong in their prospecting messaging. It's all product focused, benefit focused. We'll speed you up, make you more revenue. Da, 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 da. That's benefit language. When you're prospecting, right. be problem language. Pipelines are down, connect rates are dropping, and reps are having a harder time generating pipelines. Right. That's the language you use there. But I need to know what the biggest one is because, um, I don't know, I'm a huge fan of copywriting as well. Some of like the OGs, Dan Kennedy, you know, Gary Keller, Evan Pagan, all, all that squad. And Dan Kennedy actually said this in one of his trainings of people will buy for one bullet point. Like, mm. 
in this, you know, you could write a 13. By the way, he was a legend, man. He was a legend. Like, he, like you could buy, see, shoot, I, I write down here. Hold up. Dan Kennedy was one of my first Wait. marketing uh, courses I took. Bye. Right? Renegade. Oh, my God. Come <laughs> on, oh, maybe. Right? Like, dude, oh, so, I love it. I love wait, it. Wait, talk, By the way, if, you, if you're not watching this on video, he just showed me the, the Renegade course from Dan Kennedy. So way to go, man. Right? And what he talks about, like, people buy for one bullet point. Like, you've got this whole sales letter, this whole pit, but there was one thing that really, like, pulled them in. And oftentimes, with some of our products, we think it's, like, the big problem. It mm -hmm. might have been, like, a... Just that small nagging, like, Anika is just so tired of having to log everything manually. Mm -hmm. Or we are talking about generating more revenue and all that, and they're just like, dude, honestly, like the fact, like, I was just tired of having to log things manually. I want that top yeah. mind problem. Because again, across 40 customers, I'm going to learn, like, what to talk about. Now, quick call out, if you don't have customers, then you need to do prospect language. Or sorry, prospect interviews. But it's very similar in terms of the concept is just you're only asking about the problem you're not pitching and that has to be in your message like hey victor working on a product in this space i wanted to ask a few questions about kind of how you solve this problem right now i'm not going to pitch i'm not going to show you the product i won't even tell you what you do what we do i'm just trying to learn more about this space love it same idea yeah i love that concept you also and thank you for that man that, that was great hey you mentioned uh I was reading a book by Bob Moesta. I think that's how I pronounced his name. Uh, he wrote a book called Demand Side Sales. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Bob Moesta. Uh, he wrote a book called Demand Side Sales. Definitely a guy you should put on your radar. I just finished interviewing him. I think he's one of the most incredible human beings I've interviewed on this podcast. From a uh, building companies, working what I think are some of the gods or titans in the industry, and then... His philanthropy thing all tied together. It's am just amazing stuff. But he had a book called he has a book called The Band Side Selling. And he talks about what holds people back. You alluded to it a little bit. I just want to dig a little further. It's usually, you know, he says we can push people towards a future and outcome they want, right? But there's always things holding the client back. And you kind of mentioned that a little bit. Talk to me about how do you use language, you know, that or at least identify the type of language that says, okay, I I think I understand what's holding this customer back. Because it's not always about pushing them forward. It's about figuring out what mental breaks are holding them back. Yes, 100%. And there's actually two buckets here. Um, so one, right, is unselling the status quo, which is, you know, we've been taught for a while. You got to unsell mm -hmm. the status quo, right, to get them to move towards a better future. And where a lot of sellers get that wrong is they try to tell people that the status quo is wrong versus getting them to tell you that it's wrong, right? Getting them to share what those struggles are. So we're trying to unsell on the status quo, right? That's the first part of like what holds people back is if I'm looking at what I have right now and I'm like, nah, it's good enough. There's no reason to change, right? So the right. first step, like what I preach to my teams, in order to sell someone something new, you need to unsell them on what they have. Right. In order to sell someone something new, you need to unsell <laughs> them on what they have because otherwise I don't need this yeah. That's the first. By the way, there was. A, I just want to add. There was a guy named uh, Ernest Dichter. Most people never heard of. Uh, he's the father of motivation research, 1950s, and he says in order to get people to do anything, we must make them constructively discontent. Mm -hmm. And I've always loved that. Until you are dissatisfied, very rarely will you make big changes. You have to be yeah. dissatisfied, right? and you have to be truthfully massively dissatisfied more often than not because you have to get over pain of change. You have to get over the insecurity. You have to get over admitting you were wrong. 
right? Like, so you have to really go through that. And that's where I think sales took it the wrong direction is they go, oh, in order to do that, you got to find pain, 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 pain. If we can make it painful enough, then they'll change. Doesn't work that way either. But the flip side of this, and so there, you're familiar, you know, there's the classic term FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. A recent book that came out that I recommend everybody read is called The Jolt Effect. And what they talk- Great book, by the way. I had Matt Dixon on the uh, show talking about that. Great, great book. Great, great book. Because what they talk about is we used to think that FOMO is what would drive people to make a change. She not. The indecision that's happening right now is from FOMO, fear of messing up. Right. And so what's happening is you can unsell the status quo, but then they're still afraid of messing up with the decision. And you have to address that part of it, right? Because that's why I asked that question of what were you afraid of before buying? Because I want to understand what were they afraid of messing up? Because if I can address that, I can go through that process better and sell stronger. Mm-hmm. But I thought the Jolt Effect did a phenomenal job of covering that point because it's like everyone just talks about the status quo and they're like, well, what's interesting is like we're still, we're beating the status quo. People are verbalizing, saying, yeah, this is, I know I need to change, right? I know I need to. And then but- they still don't. Right. They still don't. And it's because of indecision. It's because of fear of messing up that's holding people back. And the best sellers address that too, right? Making sure that they feel confident it will work for them. The the analogy I use when I was reading the book, and I, I, I think I read it twice before I interviewed Matt Dixon. No. And I gave him this example of the fear of messing up. And that is, you remember the jam example? I think in Robert Cialdini's book, Influence, it was like, you know, one day they have a table, they put 24 flavors. Next day they had six flavors. And the one with six flavors sold the most, right? Because when there's too many options, people, you know, it's called buyer's regret, right? I'd rather not make a decision than make a decision and be wrong. And I thought the book highlighted that well. But I I wanted to push you further on something you said that I think is very interesting is that sometimes people don't know why they bought something, Mm -hmm. right? They, we think they know why they bought, but you said, I got to go ask them these questions mm-hmm. and because that's going to allow you to develop your, I, I guess, voice of the customer and your messaging when you're presenting. You know, have you found that to be a challenge, really getting to the root of why people buy something? Um, so, so not really, no, right? Like, especially when you ask, and this is also a big part of this, I don't send these questions ahead of time because I don't want the calculated response. Right. I want the in-the-moment response. If I give you time to think about why you bought something, I'm going to get a calculated reason. I'm going to get a logical reason. The on the spot is I'm going to get way more emotional answers to this, right? Way more. And that, that's the key to it. So, but funny, like why people buy. So there's a really good um, book. I think it's like The Secrets of Copywriting. They talked about there's 11 reasons why people buy anything. Mm-hmm. 11 reasons why people buy Anything, literally anything in life are for these 11 reasons. So I, I know it falls into this, right? But okay, make money, save money, save time, avoid effort, escape mental, physical pain or embarrassment, get more comfort, achieve greater cleanliness, hygiene or better health, gain praise, feel more loved, increase popularity, social status, joy. Dude, I, I believe you there were 11 in there because you're cutting them off visually. So yes. I agree with everything you've ever bought in your life is for one of those reasons. Yeah. So one of the exercises I also then do is anytime I'm working with a company or my own, I pull up those 11 reasons and go, how does our product fit into these? How does our product make someone more money? How does our product save them time? How does our product avoid effort? 
How does our product bring social status? I'm going through every single one of those, but asking someone why they bought is twofold. I want the emotional answer from the person. Like, honestly, I was just so tired of dealing with blank. But also, again, sellers, we, we think we know why people bought. You have no idea. You have, have no, no idea. idea. I, I, lo- I love your list because, you know, if, again, Katie, this gets back to, it's so obvious right in front of us that we don't see it. You know, it's mm-hmm. like you're looking around, but I don't see it. It's like even those 11 reasons why people don't buy, right? Or they buy, rather, is if you ask companies, have you gone through this list? Can we go through this list to see where? And it'd be amazing. I guess I ask you, are you amazed sometimes at how people realize that there's probably more value in their product or service that they haven't realized? Oh, for sure. Because they, they, especially for the sales reps, right? this, this is where it all happens is sometimes founders get this because they created it. Right. They created the product. So they know a lot of these things. But by the time the sales org is there, they don't know all of these things. So going through this, what I've seen with teams is it gives them so much confidence where they're like, whoa. Yeah. Like our product. I love that. All of this for the prospect. Like, cause this is, this is, you know, a recent tagline that I've come with is like, if you know you can help them, you owe it to them to reach out. Mm -hmm. If I've got this list, like these are all the ways that I actually benefit. Victor with my product, I owe it to him to bring this to him. I owe it to him to put this in front. And if he rejects me, then so be it. But at least I, I owe it to show him these things to see if I can help him. I always say you, ha- you, you have a fiduciary responsibility to present your value. Do you know what I mean? You have to show the value. Now, I got to ask you this last one, this last post, because this was this is a good way to kind of start closing this down, uh, which I hate to do, but we have to do. Uh, title of the post... Four days ago from Cade himself again, detach from the outcome. <laughs> detach from the outcome. You know, okay, it was, you know, uh, I'll let you go, man. I'm Just go on that one. Just go. It's, there's just so many like quotes and tips and topics that just get thrown out to get the people fired up, right? And it's like, oh, you know, I'm really struggling right now. It's like, okay, well, just detach from the outcome. It's like, well, yes, but no, because the outcome is the only reason why you're doing it. There's not a salesperson out there that would be like, you know what? You're right. Let me get someone ready to close, and then I'll just hand it off to Victor to close it, and he can have the check. Like, no, you're selling because you want to close a deal to get the check, right? The analogy I use in the post, like, to go fishing. No one goes fishing just to throw the lure in the water. He wanted to catch a fish, right? And so this idea of just detached from the outcome, I think is unfair, especially in sales, because damn it, that outcome is my job. It's the only way that I'm paid. It's the only way I can support my family. You can't detach from that outcome, right? What you can do is detach your personal worth to that outcome. But you can't detach from it because the outcome is the only reason why you're doing the behavior. That's the flip side of this is, right? I was like, oh, focus with on your control. Okay. Well, the only way you can determine what to do that's in your control is to attach it to the outcome you're trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. If you remove the outcome you're trying to achieve, you're not going to be doing the right behaviors in control. You cannot detach from the outcome. The outcome is what triggers the right behaviors, right? So it's just making sure you're not putting all your worth in the outcome. Okay, you didn't close that deal. I'm a bad salesperson. No, no, no. Did you do the right things? Because if you did the right things, you're actually a good 
salesperson. You just didn't get the result that time. One of my favorite actual books on this topic, Thinking in Bets by Annie Duke. Did you read that yeah, one? Great book. Great book. It's great book. Yeah, we read along. the same books, man. We're in the same books. We're to get along, right? It's like Thinking in Bets by Annie Duke, right? And how we have outcome bias where like you can make a decision and not get the outcome you want and think the decision was wrong. That's right. how probabilities work, right? You can do everything right and still have things go wrong all the time, right? So it's focusing your worth to your behaviors right? But attaching it to the outcome, right? The quote I always use with my team, be proud of how you work. The results will be there. I love it. I love it. Uh, I'll ask you this last question only because I want to get a personal opinion. And this is not a swipe at anybody. I just, I just want to highlight. I want to get your thoughts on this. Uh, my man, Larry Levine has a book called Selling from the Heart. Mm -hmm. And I like the title, right? I, I, I know what he means by it. And, but I wanted to get your thoughts on it. And what do you think that means? Selling from the heart. I don't know what it means. I didn't write it. Um, yeah, I mean, what's your first, I mean, it, a lot of it is based on obviously doing the right thing for the customer. I think that's an obvious one, right? Selling from the heart. But I'm always thinking that we don't want to sell emotionally. We want to sell with helping our clients. Mm -hmm. The value for value exchange, right? You pointed out that we as salespeople get up because there's an outcome. We win, right? But you also said, because I know you're totally not Machiavellian on this one, is that you said also the company who buys my product or service will also win, mm -hmm. right? To me, that's what selling from the heart means, that as long as there's a value for value exchange, we both win. That's why we're in sales. Yep. I think, you know, if I think about selling from the heart, I think about the word care. Mm -hmm. you, right. you should care about your prospects. Correct. Right. And if you do, it changes a lot of how you will behave, but it's also what hurts, right? Like you care and they reject you. It hurts to get rejected by someone you care about, right? That's again, where then people detach, right? They detach from that, where it's like, no, like you have to keep caring, right? Like that's the whole part of all of this, y'all, is like, again, back to basics. Are you actually helping them solve a problem? And if you are, great. I do not believe, and this one always gets people riled up, like it's like, sell a product you're passionate about. But you don't very, believe that very much. No, I don't believe it either. I don't believe that. But I do believe the other part of this is be passionate about your prospect. Right. That I do believe, right? Whether the product is something I'm passionate about or not, I don't really care. But can I get passionate about who I'm selling to? Yes, mm -hmm. I'm in. That's selling from the heart. I care about them. If I can't, right, this is why I've done it. This is why I don't love enterprise sales. I love selling enterprise because it's hard for me to attach passion to that level of company or prospect because Oracle is going to be fine whether I sell to them or not. Right. right. They're, they're going to be just fine. Whereas if I'm selling to like a sales leader with a hundred people, I know like this is going to impact them or I'm selling to a mom and pop you know, bakery that don't know how to do yeah. their books the right way. Like I can get passionate about that. So I think passion for prospect trumps passion for product. I love it, man. I love it. All right, Katie, let's wrap this up by you letting the folks know where they can find out more information about you and what you do. Oh, goodness gracious. Well, one, tune in to, to my podcast, which I have to have you over on to, my friend, right? We got we to gotta flip this. All right, I'll put you on the mic for a little bit. All right. Live Better, Sell Better is the name of my podcast. You can follow me on LinkedIn. I have a Patreon called Inside Sales Excellence where I have like heavy, heavy content, right? Not 1300 word posts, but like I think there's almost 30 hours now of like training sessions in there on 
real deep topics. So it's on Patreon, Inside Sales Excellence. But you know I love being on the show with you, man. Appreciate you having me. Thank you, man. Thank you. And by the way, for my listeners and my viewers, man, uh, KD is the real deal, man. Like I said, there's a lot of noise out there. This guy is a signal above the noise. So check him out. Kevin Dorsey, KD. On that note, this is Victor Antonio. Always reminding you, selling ain't hard when you know how. Take care. Big Ten Can is the world's leading sales learning and enablement platform that delivers the onboarding and training, preparation, coaching, customer engagement, and follow-up and insights that modern businesses need to win. 